I got warm this morning, so I hope you don't mind. I took a layer off. <laughs> oh, that's, that's, the, that's the blessing of wearing layers, right? And then you can take one off. You're still appropriate. <laughs> All right, let's, uh, let's go, to the wor- go to the Lord in prayer before we begin. Father, thank you for this time of worship that we had. We just feel blessed, Lord, to be your family and to know your love. And Father, I just ask that you would use me and uh, speak uh, through your word this morning um, and remind us of all the blessings we have in Christ Jesus. Amen. As we've continued on this journey of faith together, there have been moments where I think we've stood in awe of what God has done. There have been times where we've been challenged by the faith of men like Abraham and Peter, or we've been humbled by Moses' excuses because we all felt like in some ways we've made those same excuses before God. Um, They sounded much like our own and uh, reminded that God can enable us. Last week we were reminded through the example of Rahab in Romans chapter 10 that our justification is an act of God's grace brought about through faith that is demonstrated by our works. Um, And it was a rather very heavy and difficult subject, but I believe it's essential to understanding faith. And uh, today we get to we get to lighten up a little bit, maybe a little bit. Uh, we get the joy of discussing the blessings that come from faith. But we cannot fully comprehend the hope that we all have been given without first understanding the hopelessness that exists apart from Christ. What is life like without hope? I fully recognize that I can't do this subject justice. I grew up in a loving Christian home. I experienced unconditional love, support, grace. I I felt like I had meaning in life. I felt like I was fulfilled as a person. But as I look back, I have to think, what would life be without him? What would life be like for me without Christ? We don't think about that often enough. Um, What would my family growing up have been like? apart from Christ? I've pondered that question, and honestly, it scares me to think about the answer because I think the closer I've gotten to Jesus, as I've gotten older, I can more identify with what John Newton said when he said, I am a great sinner, and Jesus is a great Savior. The more closer I get to him, the more sinful I recognize I am, and the more thankful I am for what he has saved me from. What is it like for those without Christ? I'm going to share with you a story of a friend of mine. His name's Clifford. He grew up in Tampa, Florida. He was involved in a gang and dealing drugs. He would visit the local peep shows frequently, along with his brother. He lived for the thrill of the moment and tried to fill the emptiness that he had inside with drugs, one-night stands, and things like that. Well, one evening, he was the driver, and his gang was attempting to steal crack from another gang's crack house. Bad idea, right? Okay. So, as his buddies went in and somehow managed to steal this crack from the crack house, and they're running back, and they jump in the van, and my, my friend Clifford, he's the driver, okay? And they jump in the van, and he hits the pedal and takes off, and gunshots are just going off everywhere. The opposing gang has busted out of the crack house, and they're shooting their guns at this van. The cops have arrived, and they're shooting their guns at this van, and Clifford is driving Clifford's the only one that survived. And he says, John, the bullet holes 
all over the windshield, all over the van. He said, it was like a chalk outline around my body. He says, that day I knew there was a God and he had a purpose for my life. I'll share a few statistics real quickly with you guys. 18% of Americans suffer from anxiety disorder. 15% from depression. I thought it was interesting that it's actually greater amounts in wealthier country, countries. kind of goes to prove that uh, riches and status and wealth still don't satisfy that deep longing that we have inside. It's estimated 200 to 300 million cases of depression worldwide, predicted to be the second highest cause of disability by 2030. Over 37% of 11th grade girls in California were depressed. I th- that was just a random statistic I found, and I was like, I, I kind of thought, you know, maybe that whole California girl image is like too heavy a weight for them if they feel like they can't measure up, and so there's a greater depression there because of it. And later I'm going to actually share a couple stories related to a couple girls from California. But anyway, just to give you an idea, and I'm not, I'm not going to say right now that all of depression is caused by being apart from Christ. There are different situations and things, medically speaking, that happen that also cause that. So someone can be a Christian and still struggle with depression, but I'm saying these are symptoms which show how our society is empty and is lost without Christ. Some of you may be familiar with the despair that exists apart from Christ, and you can praise God for what he has done in your life to rescue you. But let's look today at God's word to get a better description of those without hope. So we're going to go to Ephesians chapter 1 and 2 and also Romans chapter 1 to just get an overall description from God's word about what it's like to be without Christ. Ephesians 2.12 is kind of the main verse for this. It says, Remember that you were at that time. Okay, this is Paul speaking to believers, reminding them of what it was like before they came to Christ. And he says, remember, at that time you were separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of the promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Hopelessness apart from Christ. Paul's given a reminder here to the believers of what life was like for them before they encountered Jesus Christ. And he starts by describing being separated from Christ. And what does that mean? And I was thinking about that. I, don't, I can't imagine my life without Jesus Christ. I honestly can't. I love him. I am in fellowship with him throughout my day, and I can't imagine having life without him. And I just thought of a couple things. I'm sure you could go to the Word and find tons of things, all that our relationship with Christ means to us. But here's a couple. We'd have no mediator Remember that Jesus Christ stands before God on our behalf and he pleads our case. We would have no mediator. We would have no great high priest. Another thing I thought about is we would have no example. When I look at the way Jesus lived, the way he treated people, I can't imagine what the world would be like if everybody acted the way Jesus did. If everybody treated each other the way Jesus did, it would be a very wonderful, wonderful place be a perfect world, but it's not like that because we're apart from Christ. 
no example to follow, and no Savior most of all. Remember, Christ gave himself and suffered on my behalf so I didn't have to suffer. He offered me an opportunity to be free from the guilt and the punishment, the eternal punishment of sin. There are still consequences, but the freedom of that guilt and the freedom of that eternal punishment give me a lightness and a joy and a freedom in my life that I can never experience apart from Christ. So those who are separated from Christ have no mediator. They have no example. They have no Savior. It continues on. Without knowledge of God. Without knowledge of God. Can you imagine if we didn't know about God, His character, His promises, His faithfulness, His holiness, all these things that we've learned as we read God's Word and we discover who God is? Can you imagine life without knowing God? Life without hope. Hopelessness means a feeling of despair, defeat, wretchedness, or just plain giving up. Without God. I was thinking about that. The fact that there is a God and He created us to glorify Him gives us a whole purpose and meaning and reason to live. So if you take God out of the equation and there's no God and we just all came here by random scientific combustion or whatever theory you want to create, then we have no purpose. We have no meaning. We have no reason really to live. And that explains why people will just go out and commit suicide. There's nothing to live for without God. We'll look a little further in Ephesians 1 and 2, and I'm not going to go through all of these passages because there's so much stuff, but I'm just going to kind of list things out. It talks about in here, verse 5, Romans chapter 1, Ephesians 1, verse 5, He predestined us for adoption as sons. Okay? So in other words, without Christ, what are we? Orphans. Without Christ, we have, we have no belonging. We are orphans in this world. But God has adopted us as sons. Go on. It says, In him we, rede- we have received redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. Okay, so without Christ, we're not forgiven. We can't even begin to understand what forgiveness is. We have no guarantees, we have no inheritance. It goes on to talk about how we've gained access to God through Jesus Christ's blood. So we have no access or way to even come to God apart from Christ. And go on in chapter 2, it talks about you are dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Four phrases. Dead in sins, directed by the world. I've got to go on here. It'll help you out. Oh, I missed some. Sorry about that. Okay. Dead in sins. 
directed by the world. Okay, the world is the one who now directs me and my choices and my decisions and how I live. Deceived by Satan and ruled by my fleshly desires. If you want to boil down that to four points, that passage, those are the things that are going on in the life of someone without Christ. Dead in their sins, directed by the world, deceived by Satan, and ruled by their fleshly desires. In essence, they can't overcome those fleshly desires within them. If you go over to Romans chapter 1, it talks about those who have denied God. And it explains what happens in that progress as they've denied God. And there's a few things that it talks about. A futile mind. They've been given to a futile mind. They are not able to comprehend the truth or to think clearly when it comes to morality and spiritual things. That is what happens apart from Christ. I think that's why sometimes intellectual arguments will never work with someone who is an agnostic or an atheist because they have a futile mind. Even if your points are better than them, they cannot comprehend the truth. They cannot see that clearly unless God's Spirit is at work in them. A darkened heart, it talks about. They've been given over to a darkened heart, and because of that, they chase after idols. And so we see in our world people pursuing money, fame, power, sex as sources for satisfaction, as some way to fill that void within their heart because it can't be filled by God. And then it goes on to say that out of that comes dishonoring of bodies through immoral acts and unnatural relations, homosexuality, you can go on. Many diseases that we see in our world and problems all come from that. And then after that it goes on and says, and then because of this, all kinds of evil and deception and etc., etc. exist in our world. Anger, hate, murder, because of people who have denied God, people who are living without hope, they have futile minds, they have darkened hearts, they are pursuing satisfaction, but they can't find it. Okay, this is a biblical description of hopelessness. And I want to share with you another story that relates to that. And I got this from Focus on the Family. Early one March morning, Heidi, who's 15 years old, and her boyfriend Christopher, 16, decided life wasn't worth living. After a short hike down a rugged path on a cliff overlooking the Pacific Ocean near Los Angeles, the teenage couple ducked through a hole in a chain-link fence to get to a narrow concrete spillway known locally as the diving board. There before dawn, the couple jumped, falling 150 feet into the crashing surf below. Their bodies were found by a jogger at sunrise. Two months later, and just a few miles down the coast, 14-year-old Amber and her 15-year-old friend Alicia also decided they'd had enough. After tying their wrists together, the two teens walked to the edge of a cliff and jumped. Friends and family knew that Amber and Alicia had problems. But they also said the girls were making progress and seemed to be happy. After their suicidal leap, many of the girls' classmates gathered on the cliff to light candles, play music, and mourn their loss. Listen to this, guys. One classmate offered his philosophy about life. You know... This is his statement. You know, life sucks so much right now. A lot of teenagers don't know if it's going to get better or not. I guess suicide is one way out. They feel they can't talk to people. And people don't understand. 
The true stories of Heidi, Christopher, Amber, and Alicia represent a hopelessness that is flooding today's culture in unprecedented ways. That's a statement by Focus on the Family. And it's very true. The hopelessness that exists apart from Jesus Christ. This was just a quote I found um, on the internet. I can't pretend that I'm okay anymore. I can't fake it anymore. I'm hopeless, helpless, and I'm afraid I'll never get better. Too often we don't think about all that God has rescued us from, and we don't spend enough time giving thanks for the hope that we, as believers by faith, have. And so that's where we want to turn now and rejoice over the faith that God has given us. We can be heavy. We can have heavy hearts over the hopelessness that we have seen. But we can also rejoice over what God has done in our lives. So let's talk about the sure hope of faith. I'm going to read to you Hebrews 11, chapter 1. We've been touching back and forth with Hebrews all through this series. Hebrews 11.1. 1. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it the people of old received their commendation. By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. And then it goes on to, to list the different men of faith, that some of them that we have talked about. A sure hope of faith. This is the description of what faith does in your life. First of all, it gives you assurance. Okay? Assurance. The act of assuring or giving a firm ground which leads to full confidence. Um, I didn't have a chance to look it up, but I think assuring is, is, would be kind of like if I said, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to leave a $20 deposit for you to hold on to in good faith that I'm going to do this and then you can give it back to me. That idea of, of assuring it. And so our sure hope, in a sense, is God has given us a good faith deposit that we can trust that is solid that he will follow through with all the things that we have our hope in. Okay, The assurance of things hoped for. Things hoped for is speaking of spiritual blessings of the future, as if they were happening right now. And it is the substance of things yet unseen. The substance, that is something that I can hold on to. That is as real as if I'm standing right here, right now. The substance of things yet unseen. Things that are going to come, spiritual things that are happening in me right now that may not be visible, but I know are taking place in my life. The assurance of things hoped for, the substance of things yet unseen. So if you want to boil all that down to a sentence, faith gives us full confidence on solid ground that our future, I would add in there our future in heaven, our future perfection when Christ makes us complete, is a reality now, and that the present is filled with blessings of faith already. So what are the blessings of faith? I'm going to take you to 1 Peter chapter 1, 3 through 5.
Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. We have been born again into a living hope. A living hope. A beautiful, pure, unfaded, protected inheritance in heaven, guaranteed for all of us who have put our faith in Jesus Christ. That is the assurance of things hoped for. This guaranteed, undefiled inheritance that we have in heaven. Uh, Randy Alcorn has a book called Heaven, and uh, he describes um, many things about heaven, and I just wanted to list off a couple things, and these are things that you find in Scripture as well. It is a place without suffering. It is a place where there is no more curse. That in itself, to me, sounds so beautiful and so wonderful. I know um, when I was younger, you know, adults would say, man, I can't wait for Jesus to come back. And I would kind of be like, well, I kind of want to get married. Well, you know, I kind of want to, you know, accomplish this or that. As I've grown in my walk with the Lord, I know now, without a doubt, I would rather have Jesus come back right now if I had my choice. You know, come Lord Jesus, because I can't wait for the inheritance. I can't wait for to get out from under the curse. <laughs> you know what I mean? To have that freedom and that joy and be complete and be made perfect and uh, enjoy that fellowship with God. You know, Randy Alcorn des- described it as a place, you know, Satan is dethroned. He is bound. He can no longer influence us. And we will dwell with God. We will be in God's presence. And he talks about how when we think of heaven, too often we think of heaven as just, you know, we go up to heaven and we're going to be with him there. But the Bible describes it as God is going to come down. Emmanuel, God with us. God is going to come down and create the new heavens and the new earth, and we're going to, we're going to walk around with God on the new earth and fellowship with him. And uh, I thought that was a beautiful and exciting description, okay? The living hope that we have in that inheritance of heaven, that inheritance of being with Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians 15, 16-19 says, For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. Colossians 1, No, we have a hope laid up in heaven for us. We have a hope in heaven for us. If that were not true, <laughs> we're wasting our time here, aren't we? And we should be pitied. But we know that's true. It's a guaranteed inheritance. The second thing is anticipating Christ's return. We can live with anticipation that Christ is coming back. Titus 2, 13 and 14 say, Looking for that blessed hope and that glorious appearing of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. I can't wait for that glorious appearing. We have a blessed hope. We get to anticipate the coming of Jesus Christ. 
there's something about meeting our Savior, about seeing his glory, I think that we can't even describe or fathom. And I was thinking about this. I, it will surpass the greatest sunrise or sunset we've ever seen, the ocean paradise that we all want to go vacation at, <laughs> especially once winter hits, <laughs> or the mountain view from places like Colorado. The appearance of Christ when he comes is going to far surpass all of that. And we get to anticipate his, his return at any time, at any moment. And that spurs us on, doesn't it? Encourages us to keep living for him in the day in and day out because we know at any moment he can come back. And we can't wait for that day to come. Also, I can't wait for it because things will be made right in this world. You hear a lot about that in Scripture, how Christ will come and bring about justice. We may not see justice in our lifetime, but when Christ comes, there will be justice I think about all that ISIS is doing right now in the Middle East. I saw a prayer request from missionaries who will likely die at any moment because of ISIS because they're going through and clearing out this village and they're um, cutting down all the children who confess faith in Jesus Christ in this village that they've taken over and there are missionaries there and they ask for prayer. Um, justice will be done. Justice will be done. We may not see it right now, but it will be done. We anticipate Christ's return. We also know that we will receive comfort. We will receive glorified bodies, glorified bodies, and so we can't wait for Christ's return. Another blessing of faith I thought of is we have a reason to endure. Second Corinthians four sixteen through eighteen says, "So we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away; our inner self is being renewed day by day." For this light, momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. It's going to be beyond all comparison. We can't even comprehend it, but it's exciting. We also have peace and direct access to God. Romans 5, 1 and 2 says, Being therefore justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have gained our access by faith into this grace wherein we stand, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. That is... A big part of what sets us apart from the Catholic Church, guys, we don't need a priest. We don't need to go to confession. We have been given direct access to God. We can come to him anytime, walking down the road, on our knees, as we're driving in our car, anytime, anywhere, and we can bear our hearts to him and know that he hears us and he cares about what's going on in our lives. We have been given peace and direct access to God freedom from the guilt of our sin because we know we've been declared righteous. And complete security. Back in Ephesians chapter 1, I think this is really important because there are many churches that don't believe in eternal security. What does Ephesians chapter 1 say? Verse 13, In him you also, who have heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, 
who is the guarantee. Did you hear that? We are sealed with the Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it. The Holy Spirit has been given to us as a seal. That seal cannot be removed except by God himself. We have been given the seal, the promise, the guarantee of our inheritance. And sorry, it will not be removed because of Jesus Christ's blood. And then you could go on. We had touched on Ephesians chapter 1 and 2 and Romans chapter 1, and you could kind of look at the opposite of everything we looked at. And I'm just going to list them real quickly, okay? Um, As we had gone through before. But we have a mediator. We do have an example. We have a Savior, and we're free of the guilt of sin. We have been given a knowledge of God. We know of His character. We know of His ways. We know of His word and His promises. We are not orphans, but we have been adopted by God into His family. We've been given an inheritance. We've been made alive, it talks about. We are led by God. We have been freed from the slavery of sin. We can think and we can see things clearly. I think that's why David said in the Psalms how your word makes me wiser than my enemies, wiser than my teachers, and he goes on and lists these things. I've been amazed so many times when I sit down with somebody who does not know God, and I feel like I can sit back and I have this perspective from God's word where everything makes sense to me. It didn't when I was younger, but everything makes sense to me now. So as they're talking and about these issues in their life, it's like it all makes sense to me. It's clear to me because God has given me a mind to be able to understand those things. And those who are without Christ are still given to that futile mind. We now have a light shining out of us that chases away the darkness. We have been made into vessels of honor instead of vessels of dishonor. We've been given a purpose, right, from God because we know God personally. We can glorify him and that gives us purpose and meaning in our lives that others do not have we also recognize the enemy and we've been given weapons to fight him so these are many things that i just wanted to list things the blessings that we have because of faith and the contrast of that to those who do not have that hope i don't know about you but i get overwhelmed by all that we've been given by placing our faith in god's son I don't think about it often enough or give thanks. And my wife and I, uh, last night, were riding in our car. We actually got to go on a date, and it was really nice. Um, but on the way, way back, uh, we prayed together, and we were, just, we were just giving thanks. Spending time giving thanks for all the things that God has done for us and given us. And we're so grateful, and we're so overwhelmed. But what about people like my friend Clifford? What about the many people that walked into the convenience store that I was working at I could see the hopelessness written all over their faces. Some of them would say, if I could just win the lottery, they'd say that to me. And here I am saying, here's your ticket, here's your alcohol, have a nice day, see you again tomorrow. Jesus was moved with compassion for the hopeless. Am I moved with compassion for them like he is? Let's listen to what Paul says in Philippians chapter 3, verses 17 through 21. 
Brothers, join in imitating me. And keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. Paul's saying, follow my example. For many, of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things unto himself. Incredible passage. But you see here, Paul is moved to tears because of those who walk as enemies of the cross, who have no hope. He is moved to tears because of that. Clifford, after serving some time in jail, came to work with me while he was on probation. And we worked together in the factory, and I trained him how to run this machine. And we had lots of time to talk throughout the day as we worked together every day, in and out. Over the course of many months, I was able to share with him the hope that I have in Christ. He had shared with me that statement of that day. I knew there was a God, and he had a reason for me to live. Because he should not have survived that. He shared with that, and God gave me that door as a way to start beginning to share. Well, I know the God of hope. Let me tell you about him. I shared with him about the God he was sure saved his life. I encouraged him that, yes, God did have a purpose for his life. And I praise God that I'm going to see him in eternity someday. And that it thrills my heart. How do we use our hope, guys? How do we use our hope? I want to just take you to three points of application here. First of all, to motivate ourselves for godly living. 1 Timothy 4, 7-10 through 10 talks about this. It says, Have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of sub-value, some value, godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. For the, to this end we toil and strive because we have our hope set on the living God, who is the Savior of all people especially of those who believe. Okay, so the reason we toil and strive is because our hope is set on God. And because of that, we strive to be godly. So to, develop, to motivate ourselves for godly living. Second thing is to encourage each other as believers. Let me read Hebrews 10, 23-25. It says, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as the habit of some, but encouraging one, one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So because of our hope, we are to spur one another on, encourage each other. Think of a spur and what it does to a horse. My daughter really loves horses, okay? You kick that spur and the horse is like, whoo, okay, let's go, let's do this. Okay? As brothers and sisters in Christ... We need to spur each other on towards love and good deeds. Maybe we need to give each other a kick in the pants this morning. I don't know. <laughs> you know, let's encourage each other to follow after Christ. 
and to share hope with the hopeless. We saw that from Paul, but I want you to see it. 1 Peter 3.15 But in your hearts, honor Christ as Lord. Sorry, honor Christ the Lord as holy. Always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. I knew a guy who was really passionate about sharing the gospel, but he was extremely abrasive in the way he did it. And because of that, he often turned people away. Because it was kind of, uh, these are the facts, and this is why you need to believe. And um, It's important to note that with gentleness and respect, people who are hopeless, they don't need somebody to come and smack them in the face. They need somebody to come and put an arm around their shoulder and say, I know somebody, I care, and I also know somebody who cares even more, and that's God. And he has a reason and a purpose, and pray with them, and whatever it takes, okay, share the hope with the hopeless. Be prepared to share the reason, okay? When you encounter people who you recognize don't have hope, are you prepared to just share with them your testimony of what God's done in your life? We should be. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for the time that we have had in your word this morning. Uh, I know that my own heart is challenged again as I go through these passages, and I'm reminded, Lord, and I'm so thankful and grateful for your saving grace. So thankful for the family that I was blessed to grow up in and for all that you have taught me and shown me through your word. I love you, Lord, and uh, I want to follow you, and I want to share that hope that's within me with those around that I encounter. Lord, and I want to do a better job of encouraging my family and my church body to follow after Christ, Lord, and uh, to encourage each other towards godly living. So, Lord, I ask that you would help us all to do that this morning. And, God, we give you the praise and we give you the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Brother Keith.